What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, everyone? Today, we're joined by Lucie D'Antony, head of marketing at GrantMe. Born and raised in France, Lucie got her start in event management before joining AirPlus International, the financial subsidiary of Lufthansa. At AirPlus, she wore both marketing and communications hats at local and global levels. She stayed in the travel market, moving over to HRS Group, an e-com company focused on hotels distribution, where she got a taste of growth marketing. Recently, she was head of global marketing at Genji, one of the leading expense management tools, where she managed an international marketing team across various functions. Lucy is also a marketing consultant working with early stage startups through Station F, one of the biggest startup incubators in France. She's also a mentor at Women in Tech Network, as well as Willis supporting women and mixed teams. And today she's head of marketing at GrantMe, an insure tech focused on real estate agencies. Lucy, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil, for having me today. It's really a pleasure from, from Paris today. Yeah, we're a complete opposite time zones right now. So uh, yeah, happy that we were able to figure out a, a time where, where we could do this. Um, you gave us a shout out on LinkedIn over a year ago now. And exactly. uh, you you were on my waiting list of folks to, to get on the show as definitely a thank you. But also, um, I know that you've got some, some really interesting experience in your career and would uh, love to dive into a bunch of different topics here. So we've we've been super deep on AI on, on the show as many other podcasts and you know like we can't really get through a podcast or a meeting at work without talking about ai right like we did a a four-part series diving into a bunch of different topics but it feels like this idea of like how fast could ai change or replace marketing jobs is something that like most people really think of uh that's kind of top of mind with ai and it seems to be one of the first questions that especially early stage marketers are, are asking right now um so i'd love your take here like what do you think are the challenges that ai has to replace every Everything a marketer does today. I think AI has uh, clearly transformed various industries and including uh, marketing for, for sure. But while AI has the potential to enhance to automate uh, several aspects of marketing, it still faces some challenges in replacing every uh, everything a marketer does on a daily basis. To me, one of the primary challenge is to um, replicating the human creativity and the emotional intelligence. Um, marketing often involves developing creating campaigns, working on storytelling, understanding basically the human emotions uh, to use it in your own story, in your business. And I think so far the AI is, is basically in, incapable to do that. And I think that's also a good news because the day AI will be able to do that, I think as a marketer, it will be a complicated situation to manage. So yes, let's say it's a good news. It's a big challenge, but it's also why marketers are still here because we have this capability to understand the human being and not the AI. Yeah, definitely agree. It's uh, not there yet, but like it's it's crazy to see how fast it's changed and improved already. Like just from gpt 3.5 to gpt 4 and it's like it 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 seems silly to assume that like gpt 5 6 7 or gpt n isn't going to be able to find a way at least to replicate like some uh, human emotions like 
GPT-4 is already like pretty uh, interestingly able to like not come up with like genuine human emotions, but it's based on such a large body of, of text that it can replicate like what a human would say in terms of like empathy. Like I, I've used ChatGPT to like feed it a bunch of uh, answers to like survey questions and interviews with customers and users. And I use that as like the, the foundation to answer other questions. Like if I'm going to send an email to that population, how can I make this subject line more empathetic? And even though ChatGPT doesn't have like empathy and, and human emotion, it still is able to take that information and find a way to like suggest ways of making it more empathetic. So like it's it's crazy to think like what the capabilities yeah. are going to be in like five, 10 years, right? Yeah, it gives you real advices. It's not just uh, the tool saying I'm a tool. Now it gives you advices and this is a big change. Yeah, I feel like Gen AI, like generative AI, is is the newest kind of AI area that a lot of folks are, are chatting about with uh, with ChatGPT. But like for marketers, AI has been around for for a while, right? Like given things like send time optimization, automated lead scoring, uh, natural language sentiment analysis, and machine learning propensity models, like all of those things have been around for for several years for for marketers. Um, some tools have it, some tools don't really have it yet, but um, we'll see in, in the next like five years, all of these tools have it. What, what do you think are some of the new categories or areas of MarTech that especially excite you when it comes to AI advancements? You know, to be super transparent, I think my answer won't be super fancy, but it's super honest. Um, in my career, it always has been a challenge to find, um, to do professional, efficient and optimized SEO. Um, and it's not depending on the industry. It's not depending on the market. I think it's a challenge for a lot of company, whatever your startup or mid-sized company or even an enterprise company. Because whatever the, the agency, the partners you are working with, it's always the same story. You think you have finally found the way to do it in a smarter way, uh, sometimes in a cheaper way. And after months of hard efforts, you realize that it may not be the case. So your results are still too tiny for the effort. Um, so to answer to your question, it's certainly the field of um, natural language processing uh, that impressed me uh, the most late, lately. Uh, the AI powered has significantly moved the, um, to really advance content creation. And I think it's, it's fantastic because it can generate high quality, relevant and personalized content at scale. Whatever you have a content team or not, you are able now to produce something that is qualitative and that is matching the market and the desired, I would say, to your personal. So it's incredibly helpful first for a team, for a small team, and even for yourself when you need to create something uh, to produce massively on a daily uh, and weekly basis. Um, I think it's not replacing the human for sure, but once again, it helps the team to better target, to better produce. Um, I would say also that with natural language processing, there are now a way to take better decision because you can adjust, you can adapt your content strategy, your editorial line. You have a tool that is able to do a market research for you or a market analysis. So you are winning so many times that you are more agile and then you can adapt. And I think on SEO, it's a matter of time. It's uh, definitely hard. So when you are able to save this time, it's 
it's incredible for you and your team because then you have the power to be better in this field. And I truly believe that on the contrary, on SEA, for example, it's much more a matter of figures and budget and what the competition is doing. On SEO, at least in the fields I've been working on, it's not just that. It's also the content. It's also the techniques and the tools you're using. And I think AI is now um, a will help uh, to be able to be better in this field. Great answer. I love the the NLP portion and, and the application that you have there, your example with with SEO. SEO has always been uh, kind of an area that uh, I've never been able to to fully grasp myself. Like email marketing has been like the the niche or like my my T-shaped marketing uh, deep dive and, and marketing <laughs> operations. But yeah, SEO has always been uh, this interesting uh, channel for marketers and like constantly changing with uh, the Google algorithm, right? And it'll be interesting to see like what Google does in the next few years as it competes with uh, ChatGPT and, and OpenAI, right? Like ChatGPT yeah. isn't necessarily meant to be this like research tool. It's more like a, a reasoning engine. and um, But a lot of people use it as a replacement to, to, to Google. So I think I see a lot of like SEO pros starting to think about how to uh, optimize their content to service it up to other AI platforms so that when people are using AI tools and, and querying it, their content, their site comes up as like a, a source or like something um, in the results there. But yeah, NLP, ML, like automated lead scoring, like all of those things are are interesting and, and are changing very fast. But like, there's one thing in common with all these things, like it's all based on data, like AI. AI is just a model that's trained on data. Like data is really the heart of anything you can do with AI. And I'd love to ask you uh, a data skill uh, question for, for marketers right now. Uh, myself included, uh, many folks are predicting that analytics and data management, things like integrations and like data science will be the most valuable skill in marketing, specifically marketing operations, maybe. Um, what specific steps would you recommend for marketers today to improve their data literacy? And as a leader on, on your team, how can you effectively foster uh, this idea of like a data informed culture? within your team? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a good question. It's clearly not an easy step. Uh, it depends on the structure, I would say, first of the company you are working with. And secondly, the maturity of the marketing department itself, uh, which is already something hard to align. The company, the marketing departments, and uh, the desires, I would say, of uh, both personal uh, CEO and C-levels people in the company. So as a leader, the main advice I would give is to basically demonstrate the importance of data-driven decision-making to the team. But first to your team. Um, it's always the same question. How are you using data to support your own marketing strategies and initiatives? If you are not asking that first to yourself, you are not able to foster a culture of data. That's maybe basic to, to hear, but I think that's really true. Uh, and then once you, you have this question in mind and when you are able to answer to this question, you need to start with the basics and to set measurable goals. First, you need to define a clear marketing objectives and set specific KPIs. Today's you can talk about a bunch of KPIs, but are you able really to monitor them? I'm not sure. We were talking about SEO. That's a really good example. You can have 10, 20 KPIs for SEO, but do you think it's relevant? 
That's really the question. Um, secondly, it's important to regularly review them and analyze the performance because I don't see data as a static thing. Uh, yes, you are defining objectives, you are defining KPIs, but what are you doing with the results? Are you able to take decision on a short term or mid term or even long term, but in order to impact your business and impact your department? And this is really the second question you need to ask yourself. Um, I think also when you launch a project, um, the KPI may be logic, but after the launch, maybe you one is popping because the project is taking another way to develop it. And you don't be you should not be afraid to adjust your project and then the way you are measuring because this is also that uh, fostering a culture of data. It's being able to be agile once again and to prove that this KPIs was not here, was not supposed to be at the beginning, but now it's the case. Um, so yeah, keeping this freedom to adjust uh, what needs to be, it's According to me, something super important that you need to explain to your team, because then when you're explaining and proving that it's working, they will keep that in mind and they will do it for their own project. Gotcha. Yeah, great answer. I'm definitely a big fan of KPIs and, and, and OKRs. Like for for marketers, like you mentioned, like being able to like it's one thing to be able to like name like KPIs that are important for the company and set objectives, but it's another to actually like monitor them and trust the data in the first place. Like, do you, do you like for the folks on your team, like, do you expect the marketers to be able to build those dashboards themselves, connect all that data together, depending on like the data stack? Um, like, do you think that SQL skills or SQL, depending on how you, you want to pronounce it there, like, do, do you think it's a key skill for a marketer today or like with the advancements of like AI in the future, making it easier for, you know, everyday marketers to just interact and query data without knowing uh, structured query language, uh, like languages? Yeah, like, do, do you think that's a future-proofing skill mm -hmm. for, for marketers? I think this is definitely a future-proofing skill, definitely. But it won't be the case for all marketers. Uh, let me explain. It will allow some talent, I think, to become a new kind of expert, to, became, to, to launch an expertise, basically, uh, and a unique one in the marketing field. And this is a fantastic news because most generally when you have, from my observation, a data team inside in your company, um, they don't have the necessary time to dedicate their skills to marketing because, yes, finance Accounting, it's always more important than marketing. That's the reality. <laughs> Let's face it. So if you're able to develop talents inside your team, I think it's great because then you are able to move your marketing department to the next level. It doesn't mean that if you don't have this kind of unique expertise, you will stay at the same level. It means that you will need to uh, look for this expertise in another way uh, with maybe new type of people, new type of experts. Great advice. I definitely resonate with that myself. Um, I, I still think that like data teams within like a a startup is is still kind of new ish, right? Like uh, I don't know about you, like what like ten years ago when I started in in startups, like th there was no data team. Like there was exactly. the product engineering team, and there was like the marketing team, and it was like mm -hmm. marketing get us users, and the product was just like building the product, and like there was very little. Um, a collaboration between the two teams. Like sometimes when we needed more technical help on the site and it was related to like the sign up form maybe in the product, 
then we would kind of collaborate there. But I feel like really only in the past, like five, six ish years, I've seen more startups have data teams that uh, they, they set the data strategy for the company. They're the ones figuring out like, what is going to be our data stack? How is the data going to be flowing around? Are we using a data warehouse? What's going to be our BI solution? And it becomes less of like this uh, idea of, marketers having to always like self-serve and, and like create dashboards themselves and they work hand-to-hand with hopefully and, and not not in every case but like a dedicated uh data analysts on the data team that like works with the marketers to build a dashboard but like you said marketing isn't always like at the top of the list for for the data team when it comes to like building new dashboards or like getting something new integrated so having a marketer level up in, in that area of marketing is definitely a future-proofing skill because, uh, yeah, if, for whatever reason, marketing is is maybe never going to be like the, the number one priority for for data teams. Is maybe. <laughs> as awesome as it is to, to have data teams, yeah. yeah I want to exactly. ask you a question about attribution. Um, mm-hmm. The this, this has been like one of the cruxes of, of my career and like something that I've dived super deep into in, in a bunch of different startups. Um, do you think that like every marketer should be able to measure the impact of their own campaigns? And I'm talking less about like vanity metrics, like open rates or just like landing page views and organic traffic. And I'm talking more about like revenue attributed to that marketing campaign or like MQLs or like influence pipeline, like however you want to see it, like attaching dollars to the campaigns Mm -hmm. that, that you do as a marketer, like in your opinion, what's the ideal way for marketers to do this? Like, I love your take on attribution because like, I feel like everyone has a different like flavor of it. Like some folks are in the camp of first slash last touch influence on pipeline. They look at both reports. They consider like first touch heavily, but also last touch. Um, But some folks are just like, this idea of like multi-touch attribution isn't like always super helpful because first of all, you can't track everything. And so the only way to really see the impact of your marketing campaigns is to run experiments, scientific experiments that help you do incremental reporting. You remove a subset of your audience and you send your campaign to everyone else and you compare the two groups and you're able to say that like the campaign had this impact because this treatment group or this control group didn't get that campaign, but there's also like marketing mix modeling in different industries. You can have like self-reported where people sign up and you ask them, um, despite all the human errors, like where they came from and what drove them there. So yeah, just love your take on, on, on attribution and which, which model you prefer. Mm-hmm. I think the question of attribution is really a complex one. You, you said, uh, according to the industry, the company you are working different yeah. so it, it's not it's not so easy i've started my career in marketing and it's always have been the same question what's the impact of your of yeah. your campaign of your event of your actions you know it's like a repetitive question yeah. so yes in theory every marketer should measure the impact of their own campaigns because it's basically essential to understand the effectiveness of marketing strategies to optimize your effort the time you're spending and basically to demonstrate the value of marketing to any stakeholders. And we know as a marketer that it's a big point, demonstrating what you're doing. And by demonstrate, you need figures. But it's not so easy. It's not so simple. I'm not sure um, if there is a perfect way to do it, uh, for sure. But from what I've observed, there are some things to validate, I would say. 
Before launching any campaigns, you need to define objectives. You need to define key um, performance indicators. It has to be mandatory. Whatever the project in my team, for example, today I refuse to start any project without them. It's not because I'm not nice or I'm not a nice manager. It's just because it's a basic. You need to understand why you're launching a project and why you're going to spend weeks, hours, whatever on it. Um, so now it's more something like they have integrated in their routine, but it takes time basically because sometimes and even and most of all in startup environment, you know, you want to launch project, you want to be quick. There is always yeah. the emergency alert from your <laughs> CPO, from your uh, COO, from your CEO, whatever the C, <laughs> it's always an emergency. But as a marketer, as a manager, I would say you need to have them in mind because the, the famous question of attribution, you always have this question in mind. So having the visibility of first uh, and last touch is the right way to do it, according to me. And this is something that I try to have in my in my department. But it may be seen as more complex to implement um, and it will definitely save time and inform to do it at the beginning of your uh, reflection, I think it's much more complicated to say, okay, we are going to measure like this and maybe months after to think about the attribution because then you need to do a step back and it's not easy when you have built your reporting and the way you are measuring. So it's more, according to me, a question of strategy and why it's important even when you are launching your business, even when you don't have too many data to do it because one day for sure it will be the question so if you are anticipating you are saving time you are saving money and i think also you are saving your motivation because when today you have a bunch of data in front of you and you are not able to say okay this is the first touch this is the last touch we can optimize this campaign when you don't have the right information it's much more complex um and uh i think basically there is no single one approach um, to fill and to fit all scenarios, but it's more a question of um, a company question, I would say. It's not even just a marketing question. You need to work with your leaders. You need to work with your bosses to be clear on this topic because for sure one day it would be on your table. Yeah, and it's the best way, like you said, to like prove the success and and like the value of marketing. Like we talked about, like how do we get up on that list of priority for for the data team? Like part of that story is exactly being able to show the impact that, that your team is having, right? And how do you do that without any type of reporting capability? But I like what what you kind of said there, like before you do a campaign, like you set the goals and like you stick to them, and maybe they like adapt a little bit over time. But like when you set them, you have buy in from your exec team or other people that are going to like look at the impact that you're having and you have alignment on like what those are. And if you can move the needle on them, um, like clearly you're, you're making an impact there. But so you basically broke it down as like, you prefer or you like having this like first touch and last touch report. Um, but you don't think that there's necessarily like a, a good way or, or a bad way to do it. Um, I, I think that like the first touch and last touch is, is totally doable. Like, especially when you're you're in B2B or B2C when you're doing like uh, lead forms on the site, like you can get like lead source and you can see like the page that someone converted on. 
that can be seen as kind of like first touch. Um, if they're at like a trade show or a, like a physical event, if the person's like importing that person in the CRM, they're like tracking the right campaign from that person. So that's doable. Like last touch is a bit trickier. And like it, for me, like in a lot of cases, like there's been a lot of debate internally about like how valuable is that last touch? And like, was that last touch really the touch that like got them over the finish line? You know, like for example, mm-hmm. if I got an email from uh grant me that like i didn't even open right so like you have no way of knowing the impact that that email had on me unless you're doing an experiment but like they, they i saw the email and like I, I basically had an impression of the email in my inbox didn't click through on it didn't open it. it wasn't like the right timing i was like in my car or something like that but then like i went back on facebook and i saw a social ad from grant me and i was like oh yeah i remember seeing that email again I click on your ad and then I convert like in your last touch attribution model. You think that the paid social ad was the one that like was the last touch, but like you could argue that the email that it didn't open, or maybe even if I did open it, like it wouldn't be the last touch on that report. Right. So like, how have you handled those battles internally? Like I, when, when I went deep down in this rabbit hole for like this multi-touch attribution model, like W shape or just like Y shape where you're able to say like, these are all the touches that we can see digitally on this person and we assign different weights to all these touches like at the end of the day like we we were just stuck with like a bunch of different ways of looking at the data and it was hard to like come up with any insights out of it like this is our best content for first touch this is our best content for last touch and this is our different type of best content for w-shaped attribution so we were left with just like well, like which model is the most important and like, man, we spent like eight, nine months, like trying to like solve this. And we were left with just like, I don't know, like we have a bunch (laughs) of different answers here. Let's just like trust our gut. And we're basically doing the same thing that we were doing before we went down this path there. So I guess I'm curious, like what your take is there? Like is the attribution even worth it for smaller companies, like small startups, like how much should gut slash logic play into decision-making whether Mm. you go down this rabbit hole or not? For sure, my opinion, it's uh, it's worth for any business. The main question is more, do you have the resources internally mm-hmm. in a small business to correctly set up, think the model, and then monitor it? Right. And it should be the main question. You, you When you think about attribution, for me, that's the question. What are your resources at the moment? Most of the time, you need to tackle too many things at the same time as a marketer, because even if you have one expertise, in a um, mid-sized company, you are doing multiple things. So, and especially in B2B, actually, you were talking about it. For example, to give you one practical example, the way we are monitoring the B2B persona here in France, in my company, differ than the B2C because it's not the same way to nurture. It's not the same way to do lead generation. So basically, it's not the same way to calculate and to identify the attribution. This type of questions, we are able to think about it and to try to answer because I have a team big enough to tackle the topic. But if you are just yourself or maybe two people, to be honest, I think it's it's a, it's not a good usage of your time uh, to think too deeply on it because you have other battles to tackle. Um, so... Yeah, the, the size, it's it's clearly, do you have the structure to maintain the system and to rethink it when it's necessary? If the answer is no, I would say the attribution is maybe not the battle you should tackle right now. 
Yeah, definitely no shortage of battles that go on in, in, in startup land. And I feel like a, a listener right now might just get like a, a bit of a bad taste in their mouth about about startups. But I'm actually a huge fan of startups. And I know I know you are as well. Um, yeah. I think that like <laughs> one of the, the things that is the best benefit of startups for me, or at least like why I gravitated to startups. Um, we actually had we had Scott Brinker on on the podcast recently, and he he argued that startups and SMBs are this like hotbed for Martech innovation. Unlike kind of larger companies, SMBs aren't tied to like a large unwieldy legacy platforms. Having spent a large part of of your career in startups as well, uh, and, and advising early stage uh, companies as well in, in France. Uh, would you agree that like from a adapting to technology perspective and, and working with the latest and, and hottest MarTech, marketing technologists are better off working with startups and SMBs rather than enterprise companies? Okay, without any doubt, I would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my case, it's um, it has been a pleasure, uh, you know, a pure experience to build my, my career in this kind of business. First, I think it gives you the freedom to build, to try, to learn. And when you're starting, it's it's incredible because then you, you have the power to try. And it's not necessarily the case uh, in big companies. Um, a startup and SMBs often have the advantage to be more agile and flexible uh, in adopting new technologies, which is great when you're doing marketing because this is also why you're doing marketing, because you want to test technology. Um, they are not tied to expensive um, and extensive legacy system, bureaucratic processes or complex org structure, which is generally the case uh, on the enterprise uh, segment. So you can embrace innovative marketing technology strategies more quickly and you can adjust your model more agile, basically. In large companies, um, I think also this is a difference and why I like startup and SMBs. It's you always and most of the time have to prove the impact of your action even before launching the actions, mm -hmm. which is a nonsense. It doesn't mean in a startup you don't have to prove anything. No, it's you have the time to launch, to adjust, to measure, and then to adjust again and again. And I think that's the big difference when you, you like to do that, to be creative, basically. Um, a real marketer, it's certainly the key. How much my creativity can enter in the process. Um, you can do what you want to try, what you want to learn and what you want to adapt, which is not the case again in a big company. I used to work for a subsidiary of Lufthansa. It mm -hmm. was 1,500 people, you know, so it's it's not a huge company, but my goodness, it was so complicated because you have <laughs> so many people deciding one little things that yeah. when you are just, you know, at the end of the story, you're just waiting. So I knew at this time that it was basically not the type of structure I wanted to work with because my creativity was, oh, wow, it was really hard. You know, you were waiting basically. Um, and it's not the case in startup or actually when you are choosing carefully in your startup or SMBs for sure, but this is not a pattern that you are uh, finding in this kind of, uh, of company. And, um, Generally, also, you don't have a big team at the beginning, at least mm -hmm. when you are joining a, an adventure of a, a, even a startup with two or three uh, years, 
the team is, is really, it's a tiny yeah. uh, team. So you are learning so much because you, you need to switch from one thing. To, you're a multitasker, you know? Uh, so you're learning and your creativity is, is like multiplied for sure. So it's uh, it's really a pleasure. I think it's not for all type uh, of marketers for mm-hmm. sure, but it's um, it's um, it's a thing that you need to decide with yourself, I would say. And uh, for me, it makes the difference. I, at least in my career, it makes the difference. And it's priceless when you 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 have the power to try and to do what you want to do. Yeah, totally agree. Definitely uh, echo a lot of your your sentiment there. I also had a, a short stint in, in enterprise, a similar size. Uh, I was at Automatic uh, working on WordPress.com and we're uh, 1,700 people at, at Automatic. But just like WordPress.com, we're about like 500 people we had like a 45 plus person marketing team uh, or MarTech team, sorry, like just MarTech on, on top of like a, a pretty large uh, marketing org. So yeah, things were like a lot slower, um, but there were like some upsides. Like for me, the upsides were um, like working with like some of the top folks in the world, like in a startup, like you said, you wear a bunch of different hats and you're learning really fast and you're like picking your, like you're putting your hand up to like try something new that you've never done before. In a bigger company like at WordPress, I got to work with like a team of data scientists that were building mm-hmm. internal propensity models and like off uplift models. And we had a team that was building an internal ESP and an internal CDP. And we had experts in a bunch of different niches and areas. But like you said, I still gravitated to to startups and I went back to to start up at my current company now because like I, I just like I like the idea of being able to just like have a lot less red tape when it comes to just like trying new stuff and like putting my hand up and just like testing something out, like buying this tool or doing a free trial or doing a POC. Um, that That's the part that I love the most, like this idea of like always being able to try like the latest tech, like you read about it tomorrow, you can like sign a POC and like deploy it in enterprise. Like it's going to take you six months and you're going to have to like do like politics and convince like seven exactly. people up the chain to be able to like get that approved. Right. But uh, this kind of transitions nicely to, to the next question about like this mm-hmm. obsession of, of tech for for marketers right now. Like as much as startup is this really nice hotbed for, for trying new tech, um, you've actually written about this accelerating uh, trend of MarTech and, and often like companies obsess over deploying the right technology and neglecting this influential uh, catalyst to hit their targets which is people, um, you know, startups are definitely uh, in a lot of cases will have more tech than they do people, especially like in, in the early days. Um, but you added that like the habit of overlooking the human element in this technological equation uh, seems to be pretty common in a lot of companies. And you harp on this idea of like remembering that like people are the ones who bring this technology to life. It's people, not the tools that fuel the inspiration to use uh, those tools properly. And this alone, like is a compelling case to invest in the humans. Um, we're on uh, the Humans of Martech podcast right now. So I'd love to ask mm-hmm. you, like, how do you think uh, our over-reliance on Martech has affected the human aspects of marketing? And what are some ways that we can strike a, a healthier balance there? Yeah, well, uh, I think it's, it's a fact we've become totally addict. <laughs> uh, it has both positive and negative impact on the human aspect of uh, of marketing. 
um, technology has enabled marketers to reach larger audiences, to personalize campaigns, to basically automate also processes and to save time. We were talking about it. Um, but it can also lead to a potential loose of human touch and, and connection. Let's just take one easy example. Um, when I have something new to do or to write or to elaborate, I'm go to ChatGPT and ask ChatGPT, hello, ChatGPT, could you help me? That's incredible <laughs> because normally I should maybe brainstorm with somebody in my team, you know, or maybe a colleague. But yes, you're changing your routine with AI. It doesn't mean it's for the good. Um, it doesn't mean it's it's for the best, but this is a fact. So this is for me the main and first lack of balance I can see. Technology is never a disappointment. Even if sometimes you don't get 100% of what you wanted at the beginning, you always learn something. And when ChatGPT is answering something that you are reading the answer, you, you can think, oh, that's true. I, I didn't uh, meant that, but actually that's a good idea. And then you're starting again to chat uh, with ChatGPT. So it became so practical that you ask again and again. To find a balance, I think it's more a matter of time, actually. Um, how do you want to rely on technology? Once you answer first to these questions, you already done away. Um, at the beginning, it's it's nice, it's fun, because you are you can ask whatever you want to the tool, and then you, you get something. But at the beginning, when you're starting to lose time to, you know, uh, being super precise, super specific to the tool to get exactly what you want, you're starting to think by yourself. And I think the balance, it's exactly that. What mm. do I want from the technology, from the AI? And why, what do I want to think and decide by myself? Once you have that, um, I think it's already a good beginning. And it's maybe just a question of being more confident on your own skills. Because technology, it's not just gaining time. It's also sometimes losing time. Um, hmm. so as anything in life, I would say the balance takes time to find, and it's exactly the same with AI. It's not just some, something that is here to help you. It's also something that is here to ask you the right questions at the right moment. Very cool. I like the, the positive take to highlighting something that's, uh, definitely like a, a problem across companies, but, um, the balance might just be in in having a bit more time and and allowing the humans to to play with those tools and and get more familiar with this idea of like structuring their their own thoughts even though they're they're using ai for like a first draft or a, a brainstorming session there yeah. but yeah I, I'll, I'll go back to like one of the like we're coming kind of forth, full circle on on our ai conversation which is kind of where we started there but um <laughs> you mentioned at first like this idea of like um uh, empathy and like uh, people skills and like emotion and how AI is never really going to be able to to replicate that. And I think that like a lot of the talk with like job replacement uh, is one of the greatest counters, like you said, like how much soft skills and people skills are, are a huge part of the role, um, especially in, in bigger companies, but even like startups as well, like especially when you're leading teams and you're on the exec team or like you're reporting to the board, um, you actually 
actually posted about like how CEOs value uh, CFOs and, and CEOs more uh, than CMOs, like we we talked about a little bit before. Like, do you think that like one of the most critical aspects of marketing with like this AI era that that we're in right now and this abundance in, in tech um, is like this most important skill is is managing expectations and including like communication, planning, priority setting, like our empathy and collaboration more important than technical skills today, you think? If you want to properly do your job uh, with AI assistance or not, <laughs> you have to manage expectation. It's part of the of the job. I mean, I would say it's certainly one of the most important things you have to do on a weekly basis. Because now the natural reflex is to say it won't be too long and you can ask ChatGPT to help you. But really, <laughs> I mean... Okay, you can ask ChatGPT, but it may be a part of it, but not 100%. So yes, being honest about what you can do or not, it's the core mission of a C-level, whatever the expertise or whatever the field. Regarding the empathy and collaboration, I have to admit I have a clear opinion uh, on it. One of my drivers is the emotion, the instinct. So yes, I think... Sometimes it's maybe more important than technical skills because you can always improve your tech skills. You can always learn uh, something super specific, but not necessarily the empathy, not necessarily the emotion you have. And um, you have to, to drive a project also with that because this is how you can understand people in front of you. Mm -hmm. And a technical skills don't help you to do that. So it's clearly the artist things to learn, but this is part of you or not. And I think that's a big difference. And this is also why you have several type of expertise in marketing, because um, to do, I don't know, uh, product marketing, you don't need the same type of expertise of empathy than when you're doing content or communication. So it's, um, it's a bunch of people. And I truly believe that empathy it's something that you cannot really learn. It's you or it's not you. You can improve it, of course, but it's different. You know, you always have this uh, battle now between sk soft skills and hard skills. Mm -hmm. I think for collaboration and empathy, it's exactly the same. Yeah, definitely agree. Uh, it, like over the course of your career, like would you say that the importance of soft skills have evolved uh, over that course? Like, can you maybe share like, uh, any practices or, or routines that have helped you develop your soft skills? Like you mentioned, you, you can't like learn empathy is something you either have or you don't. But this idea of like skills around that, like how you collaborate, how you plan, how you like step into other people's shoes and like run research projects or understand your users better, like maybe share some some routines or things that have helped you develop your your soft skills over over your career. I think the, the way we are talking about soft skills evolves a lot. Uh, lately also because even in, in especially in a tech environment we understood that it's important um through different trainings i would say i've learned active listening and it really changed my perception and also the way i approach any marketing project paying full attention to what others are saying asking clarification questions and basically demonstrating interest in their perspective it changed the way I'm able to manage a project. It also changed the collaboration that I could have with people because I'm I'm really here, you know, in, in the real moment. And I'm here to listen, to understand what you have to say. So basically the tips um, for me, the first one is really active listening. 
Um, and the second routine or practice, I would say it's mentorship. We were talking about women in tech. We were talking about Willa in France. Sharing is caring. And it's true. I truly believe it's it's really true to improve yourself, to improve your knowledge. Um, I've done it first with women in tech in the US. And it's not the same culture. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when a French woman, because it's just woman, is working in marketing and an American one, it's not the same. Um, It's not just a matter of tool, it's a matter of culture and you can learn from each other. And this is something that you could not find in any book. You need to talk to people. So we are going back to emotions, you know, and collaboration. So um, it's super rich and it also helps you to adjust your perspective of uh, any marketing uh, project you want to do. And basically it also helps you to adjust your career. And I think this is something that it's much more valuable than any AI uh, power tool. <laughs> Love it, Lucy. Thanks so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's super good advice. I think that uh, our conversation so far has really been a nice balance between the, the more technical and, and and like MarTech heavy stuff like AI and, and talking about like NLP a little bit and attribution, but we also really doubled down on the human side of, of MarTech and, and more of like the, the soft skills. And I, I, I hate the term soft skills. Like, I don't know why everyone calls them soft skills. Like they're more people skills maybe is, is what we should yeah. be uh, talking about there. But um, yeah, I know we're, we're close on time and you see, uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, this is a question we ask all of our guests on the podcast. Uh-huh. You're a head of marketing, a consultant, a mentor. You're also working to become a yoga teacher. Uh, clearly, you've got a lot uh, going on right now in, at work and in your personal life. Like I said, we ask this question to all of our guests. Um, how do you remain happy and successful in your career? And how do you find balance between all the things you're working on while staying happy? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um my personal motto is to do what I like, to pursue my passions, basically, professionally and personally. While it might be seen as a cliche, uh, this principle drives my daily motivation. Whatever I encounter something I'm not fond of, I take a moment to reflect on why I feel the way and explore hmm, how I can transform that into a positive experience. It's the same with AI, you know, I... I I just doing it for my personal life. I I think I also try with time to have a better time management. Of course, you can always find something to tackle at work, but it's is it still relevant to do it at 8 p.m. or 9 p.m.? I'm not sure. <laughs> so now I'm I'm able to prioritize to see what's matter or not. I think it's um it's something that really changed in my in my career. Uh, finding that balance is a journey. Uh, even a few months ago, I was not maybe able to do it in the same way I'm doing it today. So it takes time. It takes also maybe um, people. I think the people you have around you, it's uh, it's clearly something important. And building a fulfilling career involves recognizing your strengths uh, first, <laughs> Uh, embracing all the challenges you can have in front of you and basically you need to make choices also sometimes to align uh, to be aligned with your values and aspirations so yeah to be happy I think it's uh, it's a bundle of all of this finding the right people finding the balance between the priorities and maybe just you know something good to do or a nice to do and um, yeah to do what I like I think it's the most important 
Love it. You packed a lot of wisdom in in that in that short answer there. I really appreciate that. Um, before we go, anything you want to plug for the audience, Lucy? Um, to be honest, it was a, a super experience recording with you uh, because, again, I was talking about women in uh, women in tech in the U.S. and we can feel it the way the podcast is structured. You see the difference between U.S. and Europe, and it's <laughs> it's super great. I think that we have now platform to talk about marketing, but not only marketing needs to be much more highlighted. <laughs> you know, so um, thank you very much for your work, and I think this kind of podcast it's what the the, the field of marketers we need awesome really appreciate those uh, those words there uh, thank you so much Lucy um, merci beaucoup pour ton temps uh, c'était une conversation uh, merci <laughs> merci Philippe